Booty, the Fight Therapy Podcast. Colorectal cancer patients are often faced with circumstances related to their disease that aren't openly discussed. In Tabuti, the Fight CRC podcast, we delve into those topics that are sometimes considered controversial, trending, or just plain interesting. Listen in as we talk to experts, patients, and caregivers who provide accurate, real, and practical information for cancer survivors. It's time for us to bring these issues to light. Listen in from anywhere, from your car to the chemo chair. To suggest a podcast topic, email answers at fightcrc.org. Hello and welcome to this month's Tabuti podcast. I'm Sharon Worrell, the patient education manager at Fight Colorectal Cancer. The Tabuti podcast is well into its second year and is an opportunity to take to talk about a variety of topics related to colorectal cancer. Today, I'm excited to have Elena Newell on the podcast. We met at a Fight Colorectal Cancer focus group last year, so 2016, um, and Elena was able to participate, bringing a unique perspective to the dialogue. She is a physical therapist working at the Oncology Rehab Center in the Denver, Colorado area. She received her doctorate of physical therapy from the University of Pittsburgh in 2012 and enjoys treating a wide variety of of oncological diagnoses, including colorectal. She's passionate about approaching each patient's individual needs and desires to improve their daily function and quality of life. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, Elena. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you've been in the field of physical therapy for, I believe, more than five years. Is that correct? That is. Um, So I graduated in April of 2012, and so we're just a little over five years at this time point. Um, The last three of those, I've focused specifically on the oncology population. Before, I did have more of a mix of some of the women's health and men's health issues. And that kind of actually what got me into oncology role is we include breast cancer when we look at a physical therapy model in that setting. And so I got exposure to the oncology population and just kept growing. And as I learned more about some of the impairments that, um, like you mentioned, the gastrointestinal um, types of cancers, as well as the, um, um, sorry, not the gastro- gastrointestinal and the gynecological cancers, learned that they have a lot of impairments as well that aren't always addressed and thought about. And so I've dove in more specifically into that population as time has gone. Can you explain a little bit more the role of a physical therapist and the role that a physical therapist plays as part of a, a cancer treatment team? Absolutely. So oftentimes I let my patients know, I am not the one who is going to be helped treating your cancer, but I'm the one who's going to be helped getting your quality of life restored. And as you're moving through your cancer treatments and then beyond, that you're able to get back to the things that you really enjoy doing. Some of those key functional activities, whether that's just being able to get back to a normal workday or that means, hey, I want to run an ultra marathon next year. Can we figure out how to make that happen? And so Again, it's not, we don't treat the cancer portion of it, but we treat you and your functional ability as well as improving your quality of life. So um, sometimes when we come into that role varies. So sometimes we'll see patients um, even before surgeries. And then other times we don't see patients until they finish their treatment. Um, if you ask us, we'd love to see you, you know, as soon as you have that diagnosis. And that's how the role of physical therapy is moving through the country. Um, but it's still not there everywhere. And so some patients go, oh, I wish I came here sooner. And so 
we would love to see you as early as we can, but we also can start working wherever you're at along that path, even if that means you finished treatments two years ago um, and you're still having some impairments that you know were from your time of treatment, we can definitely help address those. So if a patient maybe say their, their doctor doesn't approach them about seeing a physical therapist, how would they go about finding someone to go to? Absolutely. So that does happen. And I think sometimes there's two main resources they can start with. One is using the APTA, the American Physical Therapy Association website, is a place to start that has lists of different types of specialties. And then from there, each of the specialty groups has um, tells them where their clinics and different therapists who focus in those areas. Um, also, you know, more and more people are finding us off of different social media abilities and just even a Google search saying physical therapy, cancer, sometimes you'll be able to pull up some therapists in your area. Um, if in doubt, I say approach a general physical therapist and say, hey, I know you may not have worked with someone with my diagnosis before, but these are the problems I'm having. And as physical therapists, we're really good problem solvers and saying, okay, we've worked with these types of dysfunctions. Let me see if I can kind of start there. And then um, ideally, if you can find a specialist in it, that's great. But we're still a little bit more far and few between for especially when we get to the more specific types of pelvic cancers. Um, but I always say start with those. And then if in doubt, ask friends or neighbors. And sometimes your physicians don't think about it. But if you approach them, they go, oh, yeah, I do know a therapist who could help with this. Sometimes they just need that reminder as well. Awesome. That's great. Great advice. So as it relates to colorectal cancer, we hear often that patients who have received radiation as a treatment for specifically for rectal cancer often experience a wide, wide variety of discomfort or even pain. So what are some of those common side effects that you hear about and that you, you see um, with your patients and what can be expected for those that are going in to receive uh, radiation treatment? Radiation is often known as the type of treatment that is the gift that keeps on giving. And so sometimes you're feeling impairments that start during radiation, but more often it's not until after you've finished your course or even a couple months down the road. Typically what we'll see with this group is everybody thinks of the initial thing in terms of, oh, my skin's burning, and they have that burning feeling. What I remind patients of is if your skin's burning, then all those tissue layers that are below your skin are also having that burning effect. And like whether it's a burn from radiation or it's a burn from touching a hot stove, is that tissue starts to form scar tissue where it was burned. And as that scar tissue forms, it um, makes the tissue a little more fibrotic. It makes it harder. And so if we're thinking of that idea that tissue is getting harder, it's a lot harder for it to move. So our pelvis is a really important area for our tissue mobility not only for our ability to walk and run, um, but our ability for our bladder to stretch and fill with liquid as our day goes. Um, also for our bowels. So as our bowels are moving through our abdomen and then want to exit, is that, that colon starts to stretch as the bowels are at different parts. Um, and also for other things when we think of um, in terms of fluid movement and just sitting postures. So if you have tissue that's not moving, Oftentimes, like you described, you can have pain is a very common one. Sometimes people will feel it either in their rectum or their vaginal area, or it can just be a more globalized abdominal pain, achiness. A second thing that can happen with radiation is those tissues are hardening, is your lymphatic system can be impacted and some, some patients will have swelling or they'll feel very bloated or big. 
Um, another thing, like I mentioned, is the stiffness impacts your gait and your walking ability. Your hips are not as mobile as they were before, so to be able to extend your leg full, full leg length can be harder. What I encourage my patients to do if they're in active radiation time um, or beyond is to start stretching. Start doing some of our general hip opening stretches. Um, we go back to gym class when you put your feet together and you let your knees fall out. That's one of my favorite ones for patients. Or if you're laying down on your back and you bring one knee up towards your chest and let the opposite leg straighten out. Um, the other way you can also do is crossing that leg over so we're getting that back part of your hip. Or you can sit in your desk chair and cross a leg over and then lean forward and feel the stretch in the back of your hip. Is that one All like, a, are, like are, a figure four? Like the yes, ankle exactly. over the knee. Okay. The ankle over the knee, the figure four mm -hmm. that you know I think we all should be doing all the time, but don't. Uh, for this population, those are really crucial things to do. As that radiation is taking effect, the tissue keeps um, wanting to tighten for a while. And so I, I know life happens all the time, but I say if you've had radiation, really even committing a couple minutes a day to gain some of that stretch in will help those tissues heal and heal in a more open fashion and not provide quite as many difficulties for you. Um, I just touched briefly in terms of the pain aspect, um, and we can go a little bit more into that. When we look, um, sometimes people have that abdominal pain, they'll describe, or low pelvic pain, and that can be a combination of the tissue being tight, some swelling, or if they're having any bowel dysfunctions. And so a therapist can help kind of differentiate those out with you a little bit more. In terms of rectal pain and vaginal pain, um, Similar idea, if that tissue is getting tight, it's going to be harder for things to enter and exit those regions. And so using some manual stretch techniques or using a series of dilators to be able to help stretch that tissue helps get the back to its original size and form. And that way things can either exit or enter in a more comfortable fashion. Um, those are the things that do take time. So I tell people it's not going to be better in two weeks but let's look at the month or two month category. What kind of change do we get at that time point um, to be able to help you either have more comfortable bowel movements um, or to be able to get back to an intimate relationship without pain. So even just a couple minutes a day with regularity can help, you know, stretch some of the tissues out and maybe provide some relief. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. I always tell people you got to be in, when it comes to radiation, you have to be in the long haul for the stretching. If you do it for a week or two, but those effects still happening, you need to uh, need to stay on know it more frequently. But even a couple of minutes here and there make a bigger difference than just getting one big stretch just in, in a week. So yeah, mm -hmm. that low and slow kind of repetitive stretching will help out much more so. What about sexual function? Um, this is a thing that can definitely vary for each person. Somewhat um, varies on what type of surgeries they may have had as well. If we're thinking, if we're saying they don't have surgery and we know the effects are just from radiation, um, using that dilators to be able to help stretch and open the vaginal tissue is important. Two is figuring out where is the pain with intercourse. Some people have pain right at the vaginal opening. Other people, it's deeper penetration pain. Right at that vaginal opening is really prone to be able to use the dilators and work with a therapist to stretch those tissues out and learning how to relax the pelvic floor. We often think we need to strengthen muscles, but after radiation, pelvic floor muscles have a tendency to be really tight. And so we gotta work on how to let them relax and let go. 
oftentimes I have my patients do different breathing exercises and really that opening, letting go feeling to be able to help that. If they're able to get that relaxation happening but are still having pain deeper vaginally, oftentimes that is some of our hip muscles that sit within our pelvis. And so if we can get those to stretch and open back out and reconnect with contracting a muscle but also relaxing a muscle helps with the pain portion. And then there's a whole other element when it comes to uh, sex that's different than any other part of our body because it's not just you. It's, it's a, involved a two-person or more relationship. And so making sure you're both on the same standpoint and maybe sometimes even working with um, a sex counselor to be able to help wrap around the understanding this portion of my body has been affected and how can we make this interrelationship come back together. So oftentimes as therapists, we will try to dissect which portion and what part of intercourse is painful and then making sure we're addressing those areas specifically. So in terms of, you mentioned pelvic floor health and relaxing the muscles rather than strengthening. Um, is, does that does that kind of cross over to issues with the bladder and, and bowel issues related to radiation as well? Oh, I'm so glad you touched on that because that is absolutely true. The majority of these patients I find aren't, um, it's not that they don't have strong pelvic floors, it's that they are so worried about their pelvic floor being weak that they have a tendency to tighten and contract them all the time. If a muscle, and we contract our pelvic floor often, as well as uh, one of our hip muscles, it's called our obturator internus, if those muscles are really tight or they're in spasm, they can actually induce urinary urgency. So that feeling where, you know, I kind of feel like I need to go to the bathroom, that's normal. The, oh my gosh, I need to go to the bathroom right now feeling is abnormal. And so if those muscles are tight, you're starting to have a disconnection between the brain, the bladder, and your pelvic floor muscles. And those three have to work in sync on a daily, regular basis to be able to have normal urinary and bowel function. What I have to work with patients is remembering we're working coordinating. We're not just strengthening. We're not just relaxing. Can we re-coordinate those muscles? So step one is understanding, let me let the muscles relax and get that feeling what relaxed is. That's very difficult for people because we can't see your pelvic floor easily. Right. And so we often disconnect with things we can't see. So step one is getting that re relaxation. And then two, I start to get them to contract again, but not holding it for very long. We contract and we let it go and start to feel that contraction of full relaxation. By having that ability, that contract or relax, that's a way you can send a signal back up to the brain saying, okay, brain, I understand you need to go to the bathroom, but I'm not at the toilet right now. So let me give you a couple of contractions to tell you I got the message, and then give you the ability to walk to the bathroom without having leakage. Um, those are the people with urgency. So like, again, oh my gosh, I have to go to the bathroom right now, and maybe leak or just be going to the bathroom more frequently because of that. There's another group of people who have um, incontinence when they laugh, cough, and sneeze, or exercise and jump. And those um, can be a combination of either weakness or they can be that over-tightening as well. If you think of a muscle tight and you know you're holding, I always give the, bicep, the example of if I take my arm and I tighten my bicep, so I bring my elbow all the way bent, my hands by my shoulder, if I hold it there all day, if I try to hold it all day, it'll slowly start to stretch out a little bit just because it gets fatigued. If you're doing that to your pelvic floor muscles and you're holding them tight all day, they're going to slowly fatigue and open up a little bit. And when you laugh, cough, and sneeze, you're going to try to retighten them, but they're not going to have their full strength again. 
And so that extra pressure, abdominal pressure that goes down onto our pelvic floor during the laugh, coughing, sneeze, exercise, jumping, allows for urine to leak out. So what's more effective is being able to have that relaxation when you're doing those activities, trying to squeeze the pelvic floor right before the activity is about to occur, let the sneeze happen, and then afterwards, allowing the muscles to relax back down will give more effective hold in terms of incontinence. When we're thinking about bowels, um, there could be a whole slew. Some people will go from the range of having diarrhea all the way to having severe constipation. And so we have to tease out, is there any dietary components that may be going along with that? Um, if it's more on the diarrhea side, maybe they need something to help bulken up those stools so the things aren't moving through their colon too fast. And if they're a little more bulkier, they're, they're easier to hold with any um, fecal incontinence. If someone's on the diarrhea or on the constipation side, then we sometimes need to think about dietary as well and seeing if we can do things to help their stools sometimes um, have more water content so they don't get quite as hard, they don't slow down, but then also to be able to get their colon to move a little bit faster with an, an abdominal massage moving in the direction of the colon. Is that what you're, any other aspects of that question you had thought about? No, I mean, that that was a great explanation. I'm, I'm just fascinated by all of this because it sounds like, you know, it's it's kind of like you're training, you're retraining your body to talk to your brain and your brain to talk back down to your body. So I think it's I think it's super fascinating. I do have one question about, um, you know, you mentioned the dietary aspect of, of this. Now, do physical therapists typically work with the patient um, to address those dietary concerns or, or do you refer out to a dietitian or could it be either either or? As I was say, it can be either. It kind of can be both. Okay. Uh, most therapists who focus in the pelvic region do have some baseline dietary knowledge. If it seems to be a little bit out of our scope, absolutely. I love pulling a dietitian in saying, hey, can we look at this whole big picture with this patient? Um, I find that patients also find that really helpful, and that's something I utilize. Um, as time has gone, I probably utilize more and more because I, again, have only, only limited so far in our scope in terms of dietary that that whole field can really help us out a lot. Right. So, I, I mean, I think this is a really great topic, really fascinating to hear about the work that you do and, and other physical therapists. And I know that a lot of patients might not be aware that physical therapy is an option for them or, or they might not be clear as to how it can actually help. Um, so for a patient that is new to physical therapy, what do they need to be aware of before their first visit? Um, and you know, any particular information they need to bring? What do they need to wear? Um, anything to help prepare a patient going in for their first appointment would be really helpful. Yeah. Um, we have the fortunate advantage here of a, a lot of physicians we work with will send us over one of their more recent office notes or sometimes um, any of the baseline information the patient can give us of what kind of treatments they've gone through can really help us understand of what type of impairments they may have. And so sometimes pair with their physician saying, hey, can you give me the, you know, even the details of how many chemotherapy treatments they had, what type of drugs, um, how much radiation, where was it? Those things can be really helpful. Also, what type of surgeries they've had or if they're going to have any additional surgeries. Um, so having that information just gives us a little bit of knowledge of, okay, I'm going to anticipate this patient may have these, and then I'm going to make sure to ask more specific questions based on what treatments they've gone through. Um, coming to their first visit, 
honestly, we probably talk more that first visit than physical things we do. A, to get an idea of what's occurring and what symptoms they're having. B, to be able to start to address some of these education pieces like you're, you mentioned. Um, those alone can be really powerful tools. Um, and I tell patients, you know, wear comfortable clothing, nothing over really restrictive. Um, do you need to be in full gym attire? Not necessarily, but something that's comfortable and you can move around in. Um, oftentimes, we end up taking off shoes and walking in different ways. So having a comfortable pair of walking shoes, but also knowing uh, you may go barefoot. Um, and then it depends on if, depends on what specific symptoms they're having and we want to focus on addressing. We may do them that first session or we may do that second session is do an internal pelvic exam. With that is we definitely walk through every step of what's going to be occurring. And in that instances, um, it's completely to the patient's comfortability level as well. Being able to do an internal pelvic exam allows us to have a better understanding as to what they are doing with their pelvic floor muscles. So if they're having any of the specific pelvic pain, incontinence, um, urgency issues, that is something we like to be able to address. Um, given that, typically you want to be with a therapist who's either a pelvic oncology therapist or a um, certified women's health type of therapist because they will be experienced in that aspect. Um, otherwise, you don't necessarily need to bring anything with you. Um, you know, no, no special tools or things. Um, if there are equipment we want you to be able to have at home, we will usually kind of help with that process. But oftentimes we don't ask you to get a whole lot. A lot of it is these little things that we can use to help address along the way. That's really helpful. And I, you know, I'm reflecting back on what you were talking about at the very beginning about quality of life and getting back to the things that, that you used to do. So would it be helpful if a patient came in and said, Hey, I really want to be able to ride my bike again, but I'm, ha I'm having a hard time and, you know, setting those goals with you, would that be useful? That, you know, that's definitely something I think that's helpful for the patient to think of. Um, that is one advantage if you know you want to go to therapy and you, you know there could be some things to help with is you already have those an idea of what your goals are and what things you'd like to do. Other patients, we have to kind of tease that out of them. But that's definitely something that occurs in that first session is what are we trying to achieve? Why, what's the purpose of coming to see us? And so identifying, you know, maybe it is just one key goal or maybe it's four or five smaller goals. And you know, a short-term goal, what do I want to do in the next couple weeks? And what do I want to do in the next couple months? What is that spectrum? One thing that's different with therapists that work in the oncology population is that we often see our patients for longer time periods, but less frequent. We give you more time to um, kind of implement some of the things we work on. We also know a lot of these um, problems that you have are things that either may still be on ongoing because you're still in active treatment, or there are things that still take their toll even once your treatment's ended. So it's not uncommon for us to see a, a patient um, one time a week is often the most frequent we see somebody. Um, sometimes we'll do two or three depending on the particular patient, but I'd say once a week's the most common. Um, but it's not uncommon for me to be working with a patient over a year to two year span. That doesn't mean I'm seeing them weekly for a year, but initially maybe the first four or six weeks I'm seeing them once a week. And then as time goes, we, you know, we're every two weeks or every three weeks to give them the time and ability to implement some of these um, things we're working on. And then we can kind of step them up the next visit. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, having goals is 
great. So the best thing we can have a patient walk in and say they want to be able to ride their bike more comfortably or, uh, you know, I have a graduation I'm going to and I need to be able to walk this distance. Mm -hmm. Or we have a big trip going up and I'm worried about the flight because I have to go to the bathroom every 20 minutes. And so, yeah, those goals are great. Elena, do you have any additional um, tips or advice for patients that are that are either in physical therapy or seeking physical therapy? Yeah, sometimes when I work with new physicians, they go, why should I send my patients? They have so many appointments going on right now. And the one thing our patients will consistently say is, you make me feel better. All the other stuff I go through doesn't necessarily make me feel better. They, I know they're important and they're important for saving my life. But coming to therapy is something that is we really aim to make them feel better and getting them back to things. Plus, it gives the patient power and things they can do at home to make them themselves better and makes them be more active in their cancer treatments. So oftentimes when you're going through the chemo and radiation and surgeries, you're more of a passive participant in those. And when it comes to therapy, you really get to start to take charge and you get to set the goals. You get to tell us what we need to work on. And so a lot of patients find, man, I didn't think I could do some of the things I'm doing today. And it's mostly from the therapy because we've been able to give them practice. We've been able to address the problems they're having with this or that. And so I find our patients um, sometimes can come in and not the best of attitudes. And by the time they get through their therapy and are working through things, they're much more empowered and stronger. So I always tell patients, if in doubt, go for a session and see if there's an impact they can make for you. And then you can kind of build your program from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Elena, for joining the, the Tabuti podcast. Um, this was really an interesting topic. And I'm so glad that we were able to have you on to, to shed some light on physical therapy. Absolutely. And if um, I've had patients and therapists contact me throughout the country. So if you ever have issues and you need help finding resources, feel free to contact me as well. I'm more than happy to be able to help get patients connected to different types of therapists that may need help or may be able to help them. So yeah, any more we can spread the word as this is a, a crucial and an important piece in their treatments, I'm happy to do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for tuning in to Tabuti. Have a great day. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Please remember that this information is for educational purposes only and all medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. For more resources, visit us on the web at fightcolorectalcancer.org.